You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Whatever our background, whatever our perspective, whether you've never been to church and this is your first time, whether you've gone to church every day of your life, um, all of us need to come back to Jesus' definition and His design for the church. It doesn't need to be the church that's in my head or your head, but the one that's in Jesus' heart. And this is so vital for us as a church because our mission is to build the church that our friends and neighbors will join and that our children will lead. And if we're going to do that, we need to know what it is that we're building. We need to know what it is that God is calling us to. And we are passionate about this. Not because we want to build a church. And I'm not talking about building a building. Not because we want to build an organization. We're passionate about this because, because I believe down to the very core of my marrow, I believe that the church is the hope of the world. That the Lord has, has designed and he has, he has gifted and He has empowered the church to take the message of hope, the message of Jesus to the world. That is our purpose and our design. And, and that matters. We're not building a kingdom of power. We're not building a kingdom of influence or money or stuff or fame. We are building the kingdom of Christ. We're building the kingdom of Jesus. And there are many noble causes that you can pour yourself into in this world. There are many noble things that you can give yourself to, that you can, you can finance, that you can give your energy to, your effort to, you can volunteer with, all of them noble. But the church is the only investment that you can make of your resources, of your effort, of your time, of your talent, of your money. The church is the only investment you can make that brings eternal dividends, that brings dividends beyond this life. There are many noble things that we could and we should be about here in this life, but the church is the one that brings the dividends into eternity. It makes a difference not just where people spend tomorrow or how they live tomorrow or if they're fed tomorrow, but how they spend eternity. Not just the rest of their life, but the rest of time. And so this matters. And so the blueprint for the church we're building is it's found in God's Word and it's lived out by Jesus and His first followers. So we're looking at the Gospel of Luke and his other book, the book of Acts. He gives us the, 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 the documentary of Jesus' life and the documentary of Jesus' followers. Jesus given his heart for the church, the church given their heart for Jesus, and he shows us what it is that the church was in their lives. In Luke chapter 10, we're going to see what it was that Jesus was starting, what it was that he was about. We looked at Luke 9 a couple of weeks ago, and Jesus sent the 12 out in six pairs of two to do ministry. You see, he does this exact same thing again in Luke 10, one chapter later. So look with me at Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. So Jesus gathers 70 followers, sends them to 35 different places, 35 groups of two. And they go out to all these places that he would eventually come to preparing the way for Jesus. And Jesus says something important to them before they leave. Therefore, Jesus said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, one chapter earlier, Jesus sends 12. And now in chapter 10, he sends 70. And that's some pretty incredible growth. But Jesus' emphasis is still on the fact the laborers are few in the harvest. There's a great harvest that needs to be brought in. 
And when I talk about building the church that our friends and neighbors will join, I'm talking about building a church that can harvest all of those that are out in our community that need to know Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about building a church that we can hand down to that next generation who will continue that mission. That's what we're about. And the laborers are few. We, we need more workers in the harvest. In the next several verses, Jesus gives them the same instructions that he gave the disciples in Luke 9. He tells them, don't take an extra coat, don't take any money, don't take any food. You're, I'm going to provide for you as you go. But in verse 16, Jesus adds this very powerful statement on the end. that I'm about to read it, and when I read it, I don't want you to say, okay, Pastor Daniel's reading Scripture, and I'll tune in when he gets to the message in a second. I want you to hear this. I feel like the only way to appropriately read verse 16 is like your mouth to drop open. And if you're chewing gum, it it to fall out. Because what he says next, it's amazing. He says in verse 16, He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despises him that sent me. Jesus says to these 70 before they hit the road, If they hear you, they're hearing my words. They're hearing me. I am sending you with my message. Man, that is... Wow. Now look at verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding. In this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. When they return, we get two very important lessons here. Jesus gives them two important lessons that we're going to grab a hold of. There's incredible power through the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus' message that we are given to share with the world, but we only retain it if we maintain a servant's heart. 1992, there was a cultural phenomenon that some of you might remember. It was the dream team. The Dream Team was the first Olympic basketball team that the United States put together that had professional athletes on it. In the years previous, we had only been able to put amateurs on our Olympic teams, and they would often get beaten because they would play professionals from places like the Soviet Union and Croatia. But in 1992, the Olympic officials decided to make the, change the rules so that professional basketball players from the United States could play on the Olympic team. And the Soviet Union and Croatia and those other countries that had been winning, they, they protested it greatly because they knew we had some incredible basketball stars that we could put on our team. And man, did we ever stack a team. It's been said that it was the greatest sports team to ever be assembled. On this team that they put together in 1992, there was representation of multiple different teams that had won 10 different championships over the last several years. This was an incredibly stacked team. I was nine years old that summer, and I had a poster of the Dream Team in my room. I had the Wheaties box with the Dream Team on it, and I didn't eat the Wheaties, you know, like it was was a big deal. 
It was better than any all-star team that had been assembled because any all-star team is always the best players of each conference on the two different teams. This, this was the best players from all the conferences. It was an incredibly stacked team. And they went to the Olympics in 1992, and they won the gold, and they beat their opponents by an average of 44 points. They, they mopped the floor with every opponent that they faced, and they raised the profile of the NBA across the world immensely. And most people know that they put together this incredible team, and most people know that they won easily. What most people don't know is that they actually lost their first game. When they came together, their coach, Chuck Daly, put together a team of the best college athletes that he felt would most represent the European style of basketball and had them scrimmage against the dream team, and they lost that scrimmage. Now, coach K, the coach of Duke, who would come, become the, the head coach of NBA's dream team later on for the Olympics, he was an assistant at the time, and he says that Chuck Daly lost that game on purpose because he was trying to teach all of those stars an important lesson. You see, Chuck Daly knew that he was bringing together a team of people that they'd always been the star on their team. They'd always been surrounded by role players who would do the work that nobody else wanted to do, who would set the screens, who would make the passes. They were used to always getting the ball and scoring the points, and he knew that they were going to have to see that they weren't, they weren't perfect, that they would have to work together as a team, that they would have to be humble enough to play together. It was the greatest team ever assembled, but they wouldn't be able to win unless they learned to play together as a team. What we see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus assembles this incredible group of people, not because they're amazing, but because he gives them this amazing power and this amazing gift, but he tells them there's incredible power and there's incredible meaning, but you'll only hold on to it if you retain your servant's heart. We've got to grab a hold of both of those lessons this morning. So let's start with that first one. There is incredible power and significance in serving Jesus. Jesus said in verse 16, and I can't get over it, he said, he that hears you, hears me. And he that despises you, despises me. And he who despises me, despises him who sent me. Now can I just say that the end of that verse is very comforting to me, because there are people that don't like me, and now I know that it's not because of me, it's because of Jesus. Right? Because it can't be about me. Now, he's, he's not saying that, well, when you become a Christian, everybody's going to like you if they like me. He's not saying that when you become a Christian, everything you say is, are my words. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, when you go in my name and you share the words that I have given you, when you repeat what I have given you to others, if they hear those words, they're hearing from me. And when I stand before you this morning... The only thing that's of any value is what I get from God's Word. And so if I share things from, with you that are from here, that's worthless. But if I share things that are from here, we are hearing from the Lord. We are hearing from Jesus. And if you reject me, you reject me. But if you reject what Jesus says, you reject Jesus and you reject the one who sent Jesus. And that is a serious matter. Serious. If I ever come to the place where I just come and I tell you what I think, y'all throw me out of here. Because what I share with you only matters if it comes from Jesus. 
And when these disciples went out to these places, they were sharing the words of Jesus, the message of Jesus. They were sharing the power that Jesus had poured upon them. And that's the only reason that any of this matters, is if it is Jesus, if it is Him, if it is His power flowing through this congregation. That's the only way it matters. And how significant is this? How, how important is this? How, how meaningful is it that we get to do this? Some of you like to name drop, right? You like to mention that person who's somewhat distantly related to you, but they're famous. Or that one time that you saw that professional ball player at an at a airport. You tell that story all the time. I, I knew some people in Nashville that they regularly brought up the fact that they were eighth cousins to Elvis. Eight, eighth cousins. I'm pretty sure I'm eighth cousins with the Queen of England, all right? Maybe not, but it feels like eighth cousins, like we're probably all eighth cousins, right? But they would regularly bring up, we're eighth cousins of Elvis. And we like to, to name drop, we like to say what times we've met somebody who's famous or something big and bold that we were a part of. And the reason that we're always looking to, 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 to see that we matter, that we have some significance, is what we're constantly searching for. Our entire lives, we're constantly searching for significance and meaning. Help me find a place where I matter. Help me find a place where I'm going to make a difference. Help me be in a place where I'm going to do something that's remembered, that makes a difference in the world. And whatever it is that you do, wherever it is that you work, wherever it is that you're from, you're going to have some desire of that. Can I tell you that what Jesus just said is that the greatest significance that is available in the world is in serving Him? Because He just said that when you share my words, when people hear you, they hear me. There is nothing more important that we could do in our lives than that, than to carry the message that is from heaven. When, uh, when we lived in Virginia, my, my father worked at the airport, and he happened to work with Michael Vick's cousin, you know, the professional football player. And Michael Vick had a lot of, a lot of money, and he would go and just buy things. And one day he went out and he bought three go-karts that he wanted to, you know, he and his friends wanted to ride around it, and he had no place to put them. And so his cousin who works with my dad is like, yeah, Mike just bought these go-karts. We don't even know where we can put them. My dad said, I have a place you can put them. You can put them in our garage. So that's what they did. And so for a couple of years, Mike Vick's go-karts stayed in our garage. Do you know how many people I told, like, hey, that's Mike Vick's go-kart? <laughs> guy, a guy who was dating my sister, he was now my brother-in-law, he ended up marrying, he broke his arm on that. We were like, yeah, my, my cousin, my brother-in-law, he broke his, he broke his arm on Mike Vick's go-kart. <laughs> what, what, why does that matter? Because, because he's famous. It makes it special somehow. There is, there is nothing more special or more amazing than what we get to share with people from Jesus, from the one who sent Jesus. And Jesus just said, if people reject this, they're not just rejecting you, they're rejecting me, and they're rejecting the one who sent me. There, there is nothing more important that we could do than this. Nothing with greater meaning than this. Can I tell you that I, I know that maybe Sundays for you are, are crazy, and, and you try to get here when you can, and some of you work every other weekend. But can I tell you that when we are able to be here, this matters. This matters. And I don't just mean like it matters for you to see me. 
It matters for you to be here and fill a pew. That's not what I'm talking about. It matters because we, we are on the front lines of reaching people. Can I, can I show you a, a note that we got uh, in uh, the offering a couple of months ago? The person said, hey, I just, I just want you to know that the Lord has used this church to save my life. I don't know who that was. Maybe that person's here today. Maybe they're not. We're dealing with life and death here. This, this is important. This matters. And when Jesus sends them out, he says, you, you need to know that this is, this is my words, my truth. Let me apologize to you. If, if you've ever felt like, oh, I can't be there this Sunday, I'm letting Pastor Daniel down. It should not be because you're, you're letting me down. That should not drive you to be here. All right? It, it should matter to you because these are the words of Jesus that we're sharing with people. And whether you are in the parking lot showing people where they can go and leading them here, or you're parking up the street so that there's somebody can have, you're a part of that. You're making that happen. You're just greeting people when they walk in. If you're taking care of their children in the nursery, you're part of making that happen. You're making it possible for us to share the words of truth, the words of Jesus with people. Just a couple weeks ago, I heard a church planner talking about how he came to know the Lord. He was 19. He'd been, he'd been playing a little bit of, of, of college football, and he got injured. He found out he wasn't going to be able to play college football anymore, and his, his girlfriend left him. He was kind of one of those... He was living a country music song, right? Like everything was going bad for him. And he was thinking about just doing a bunch of drugs and driving his truck as fast as he could into an overpass. But somehow, and he doesn't even remember now, it's been years, but somehow he heard about this church that was starting at this elementary school and he showed up at it. And there were people in the, the parking lot who smiled at him. And when he walked in, somebody pushed his hand away and gave him a hug and said, hey, there's coffee over here. And then he went into the sanctuary, and somebody said, hey, you can sit with me. And then he heard a guy talk to me. He said, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I just knew that Jesus loved me. He said, my life changed in that moment. He said, I can't go back and find any of those people that did any of those things. And I don't know what it is that they faced that week, whether they had an argument with their spouse on Sunday morning, whether they were serving their fifth Sunday in a row, but all I know is that one day I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to Thank them, because that day changed my life. Sundays matter. Wednesdays matter. What we're doing here, we're, 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 we're on the front lines of trying to change lives. I honestly believe that we are here for a reason. We are here for a reason. And this matters. We, we, there is significance in our placement. We are in the, we're on the front lines in a war with evil, for the hearts and minds of people in this community. That's what we're doing. That's what we're about. And I don't think that it's any coincidence that your kids always get sick on Sundays and Wednesdays. I don't think it's any coincidence that your car always breaks down on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. I don't think it's any coincidence that you have flat tires on your way home from work on Wednesdays. I don't think that's any coincidence. I believe that there are evil forces at work trying to keep us from doing what it is that we're called to do. And I'm not the kind of person that I think that there's a demon behind every, every bush and that Satan's in every cough. I'm not that kind of person, but I know that this is important enough that if Satan can do something to mess it up, he will. He will. And whether that's cause and circumstances come up in our life that keep us from being where we need to be, or bringing up bitterness between us, or hurt feelings, he will do whatever he needs to do to distract us from the mission that we have been given.
Can I, can I just tell you what I've watched happen again and again and again? Here's what I've watched happen again and again and again. You have invited someone to church for months, and they keep saying, yeah, I'm going to come one day, yeah, I'm going to come one day, and finally the Sunday comes that they're going to be here, and everything in your life goes wrong that morning. Because what Satan wants is, if I can't stop them from being here, I'm going to stop their friends from being here. So when they walk in, they don't know anybody. And they're convinced they're at the wrong church. That's what he wants to do. He wants to mess this up. <laughs> there, there was a stretch. It was like 18 months ago. I, I'm not exaggerating. Over the course of about five weeks, my car battery went dead three Sundays out of five. If you think I'm, I'm exactly, you go ask my wife. She was not happy about it because every time she had to help me get here while she's, you know, taking care of kids. That didn't happen on Saturdays. It happened on Sunday. Why? This matters. What we're doing here matters. And it's not just about Sunday mornings. It's about any time that we have opportunity to share the message of Jesus, the words of truth with others. It matters. So the disciples come back, and they can hardly believe that they get to be a part of this. They say to Jesus, Jesus, the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus, we're able to heal people in your name. Jesus, incredible things are happening when we do ministry in your name. And we know from Luke chapter 9 that when the disciples came back and they were telling Jesus that, Jesus was like, that's awesome. Let's go apart, and we're going we're gonna to debrief. We're going to talk about this. I want to hear all about it. Jesus was not someone who wanted to reign on a parade. That was not Jesus' attitude at all. Jesus is not the kind of person who says, oh, that's great, well, let me tell you about what I did. That's not him. He wasn't trying to rain on their parade, okay? He was not a Debbie Downer. But when they come back and they say, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in thy name, Jesus says, now listen, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So do not rejoice that the demons submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What, what, was, Jesus, what was Jesus saying? Jesus saying, don't take yourself too seriously. Jesus saying, don't fall in love with your gifts. Don't fall in love with what you can do for the kingdom. Don't become inflated and prideful that you're able to do all of these things because I knew somebody that was in the very haven of heaven and became infatuated with himself and felt like he was so gifted and so beautiful and so amazing that he felt like God owed him something more and then he fell from heaven. Jesus said, I knew somebody that they, they were gifted and they were talented and they were close to God and they came to a place where they felt like they were, they were owed something. And if we're honest this morning, we're transparent. There are sometimes we feel like God owes us something. And if we'll think critically about that for a few minutes, we'll realize how ridiculous it is. God owes me something. But there are times that we get to thinking that way. We get to thinking, well, if I didn't do this, nobody could do it. Do you know all the things that I have done? Do you know all the things that I have accomplished? Do you know all the things that I have sacrificed? Do you know all the times that I have stayed late or I have showed up early? Do you know the demons have submitted to me? Do you know that? General Eisenhower, he once came, in, came across a sentry. A sentry has an important job to protect the perimeter. The sentry was taking himself a little too serious, and he said, Son, 
Take your job seriously, but not your stock. Take your job seriously, but not your stock. This matters. The church that we're building matters, but we can't take ourselves too seriously. We can't. We cannot take ourselves too seriously. You say, man, after everything you just said about how important Sundays are, you must think that you're pretty important. Nope. Jesus, Jesus could replace me tomorrow. Good. I don't have to be here for this to happen. My role is important. I 100% believe that this is exactly where the Lord has me for a unique purpose and a unique calling, but it's not because I'm special. It's because of what he's doing. This matters. I don't. These guys were fishermen, carpenters, tax collectors. They were ordinary people that God used in extraordinary ways. They were ordinary people that God used in extraordinary ways. They were still ordinary people. And Jesus says, be careful, because I saw Satan fall from heaven, and I don't want that for you. Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't get too prideful. Why do we name drop? Why do we want people to like our photos? Why do, people, why do we want people to think that we are talented? Why? Because we're always searching for that significance. And when we have it, it feels so good. I had a teacher in high school. She told me I was one of her favorite students. And man, that felt so good. You know what I found out later? She told all of her students that. <laughs> She told all of her students, you're one of my favorite students. Apparently, all of her students were her favorite students. I mean, that's how she got around that in her mind. I was like, that's just unethical. You know, she led me on. <laughs> and I felt special until I was talking to a friend, and he was like, you know, she told me that I'm one of her favorite students. I was like, she told me that. <laughs> Listen, whatever pathway that, that we think that we can take to significance, it will always let us down. We build kingdoms of fame, power, money. We build kingdoms based on our looks or our abilities. All of that is going to fade. It's going to go away. So we, we, we have a significant role that is full of meaning, but it's not about us. It's about him. So we regularly need to be sure that we're not taking ourselves too seriously. Um, I, have some, I have some suits that I wear. Uh, one looks, has stormtroopers all over it. It's my Star Wars suit. One has Christmas trees all over it. It's my ugly Christmas sweater suit. I've worn that in the Boonville Christmas Parade. Had my picture on the front page of the Courier and Press wearing one of those suits. It's kind of hard to take yourself seriously when that's the picture that you get in the paper. I recently had someone tell me, hey, listen, Daniel, if you want people to take you seriously, you've got to get rid of those. That if you want people to take you seriously, you have to take yourself seriously. And I disagree with that assessment. Because I think that people can take me seriously if they know how seriously I take my job and my role. And the reason that I wear those suits, every one of them I have bought for some event here, and I knew that it would get somebody's attention so that we could invite them to church. I don't take myself seriously, but I take my job incredibly. 
incredibly seriously. I take my role here incredibly seriously. I take my calling here incredibly seriously. I am nobody just trying to tell everybody about somebody. That is my life's mission. So how do we take this seriously without taking ourselves too seriously? How do we stay focused on the mission without making the same mistake that Satan did? We do not rejoice in what we do. We rejoice in what he has done. When we sing songs here, we don't sing about all the great things we have done. We sing songs about all the great things he has done. Because that is what we rejoice in. Jesus said, don't rejoice in the fact that the demons listen to you. Don't rejoice in the fact that the demons submit to you. But rather rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. Everything that you might rejoice in can be taken from you. You could lose it. Accept that. Accept that. You can hold on to that for the rest of your life. And if, if, if my joy in life and my meaning and my significance in life was wrapped up in getting to do this, one day this is going to go away. One day I won't be able to do this anymore. One day I won't be able to continue preaching. One day I, I'll move on. I'll fade away. I'll, I'll be too old to stand up here or understand what I'm talking about. That's going to come. But my name will still be written in heaven. Rejoice not that the demons submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven, that you've been forgiven of your sins. If, if we find our hope, our meaning, our significance in who we are and what we've done, that will fade, we will lose it. But if we have our meaning and significance and hope and joy in Jesus, and the fact that he forgave us of our sins, that we can hold on to forever. And that's the secret to joy, is gratitude, not pride. See, this world thinks that, well, you'll be happy if you just have enough self-esteem, if you just think highly enough of yourself. No. It's if you think highly enough of him, that is where joy is found. That's where it's at. Rejoice not that the demons submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Bob Jones Sr. is an evangelist and started a college that was named after him. He preached in thousands of places. Many people come to Christ, and towards the end of his life, he'd gotten to a point where he could not preach anymore. He would get confused. And when He stood up in front of a group of people one time, and he was trying to preach, and he just kept saying, when I was 11 years old, I got saved in Dothan, Alabama. He rambled a little bit, and he'd say, when I was 11 years old, I got saved when I was in Dothan, Alabama. And he could never find his way in his message, and eventually he just went and sat down. And the pastor there stood up, and he said, I'm thankful that my brother Bob doesn't really know where he is right now. He knows where he's going. Whatever else happens in life, whether you're in the desert or in the harvest, you can have that. You can have that. That's something to rejoice in. So wherever you're at this morning, that's what you can have. Your name can be written in heaven because of what Jesus has done for us. Let us rejoice in that. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.